0: You know, it's very interesting, I actually went down to Southern California this last weekend, I was speaking in the uh, Loma Linda area, and, uh, you know, I go home, and I always ask my mom, every time I talk to her on the phone, I always say, Mom, is there anything new going on? And she always says, no. And, uh, you know, I ask her every single time I talk to her, Mom, is there anything new going on? No. And so I go home to Southern California this last week, and I was speaking Friday night and Saturday at a, a graduation thing taking place. And I go visit my mom on Sunday, and I came back on Monday. But I visited her on Sunday, and I was sitting down with them, and uh, we were talking, and all of a sudden it comes out that both my sisters are pregnant and uh, at the same time, around the same time. And uh, so I asked my mom, I was like, Mom, did you know about this? She's like, yeah. I was like, Mom, how come you didn't tell me about this before? And she just giggled and left. But, you know, I thought that was very interesting. You know, you, you get surprises. And when you find out that someone you love is having a child, or you yourself are having a child, it can be a very unusual experience. Now, I don't know what that's like, but I do know uh, what it may somewhat feel like. I have friends, Godfrey and Debbie, they're some of my good friends, and I, I think I might have told you this story, but I think this took place two years ago. They were pastoring over here in Modesto Central, and Debbie was pregnant with her first child. Now, I've always grown up seeing a lot of movies where they're like racing the uh, pregnant lady to the hospital, running red lights and, you know, all sorts of things. And being adventurous as I am, I told Debbie, I said, Debbie, when you're about to give birth, I want you to call me. I want to be able to transport you and Godfrey to the hospital. I had a big four-wheeling Jeep, too, had size 35-inch tires. Nothing was going to stop it. So about 5 o'clock, 5 a.m., I get this call. Now, I was joking about the whole thing. But I get this call, and the call is, know, can you get over here? Debbie, her water just broke. And in my mind, I just, I just that's what I imagined. So I was like, are you kidding me? And she's like, he's like, no, you need to get over here. So I jumped into my Jeep, and I just, you know, I never forgot the door was still open when I was driving out. You know, I would close the door. I got to the house, and I just, like, run in. My hair's flustered all over, I'm still in my pajamas. They have it on video. And they're just sitting there, and she's doing the Lamas. And I was like, are you guys ready? And she's like, yeah, we're ready to go. And they're very calm about the whole thing. And I'm freaking out, OK? This is not even my child. And she gets into the Jeep. And I was like, we're driving very slowly. I mean, I, was, I had this in my mind. I was thinking, I'm going to run over cars and whatever it takes. Run red lights. I was driving very slowly and carefully. And I even heard her go, huh. like she just kind of just, there was a little bit of pain. And I was like, are you OK? She's like, I'm fine. And then I turned on the Christian radio, and I was just playing some nice songs. I was like soothing, her, you know, and, and we get to the hospital, and we drop her off, and Godfrey gets out, and they, she, you know, a, a beautiful girl is born. I'll tell you that, that was very traumatic to me. What do they call it? A, a sympathetic pregnancy? Is that the term? Uh, anyways, it, it was just very unusual that I, I got to participate in that experience. And uh, bring pregnant is not something that I could probably tell you things about. But here's the thing I want to say to you, church. I believe with all my heart, our church is pregnant. I believe with my whole heart, our church is pregnant. And I don't know the gender of this child. I think she's a girl. But I really believe that this church is pregnant. And we need to have some insight about how this baby might be delivered. We have talked about a church plant for the last few weeks and uh, we're making some serious steps. We're going to have tonight a church plant meeting. It's going to be a business meeting and we want the church to come out. We are thinking about scouting an area in uh, possibly the Houston area. There used to be a Houston SDA church. There's none there anymore. But it's a small, when you go into the town, small little country town and we're thinking about having a church plant there. There's going to be a lot of questions that are going to come up, so I want you to come out to the church business meeting tonight at 6.45, and we're going to discuss more in details. But just to let you know, I believe that God is leading in this. And here's the indication. I went out with the Bible worker to the city of Houston, And I was driving there with him, and we were just checking out a couple different churches. We saw one church, and we walked there, and they didn't have a pastor, and they said, well, you're going to have to just wait and find the person who's in charge. And so we drove away, and as we're driving to the next church on the map, I noticed from the corner of my eye a small First Baptist church right there on the corner. It wasn't even on the MapQuest. is isn't normal, which is normal. And uh, so we pulled there, and we're looking around, and it's just a nice old quaint building. It's a nice little old Baptist church. No one's around. It seemed like everyone was gone that day in Houston. So we're going around, taking a look at the facilities. Couldn't get inside because no one was there. I picked up my phone. I call, and I asked for the pastor. No one answered. Went to answering Machine. I left a voice message, and I said, Hey, my name is Pastor Arnell. We're thinking about possibly renting a church. Want to get some details from you. So as we jump into the car to leave, all of a sudden, from the corner of my eye, I see this older gentleman walking down the street. And there was just something unusual about him. He's walking down the street, and he's coming right up to us, and he's just looking at us like this, just walking like this. He's walking, comes right up to the car, and I'm like, hi. <laughs> and he's like, hi, can I help you with you guys with something? I said, well, my name's Pastor Anel, and we're thinking about uh, looking at a church to possibly rent. I want to present some of these details to my church. And he says, well, I'm glad we ran into each other. I go, are you connected to this church? He said, yeah, I'm the church pastor. I go, wow, praise the Lord. I go, I just called you. And he's like, well, it's good you called me because I don't answer my answering machine for months. And he goes, do you want to take a tour? So I was like, okay. So we start taking a tour through the entire church building, right? And he's showing me the little fellowship hall underneath. And he's showing me the the little sanctuary And then he goes, watch this, come over here. And so I went to him, went with him, and he showed me the lobby. And there was pictures. And he says, take a look at this picture. And what it was, was the first Baptist congregation, 1910. And you know what? They were standing in front of an Adventist church. And he said something to me. He said, when we first started, you guys helped us out. And then he said, maybe we can help you out this time. And so there's some more details I'll share tonight. I don't want to give you too much away, but... You know, it's exciting. And you know what? This is something huge. And this would be uh, the baby of Series SDA Church. And it's important that we take care of this baby if, if this is the direction that God is leading. But God wants us to move forward and take the gospel to every city. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Why don't we start with the word of prayer as we jump into this message this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for the Holy Spirit. God, we pray and ask the greatest of all teachers and preachers, the Spirit of God would guide us to all truth lord we are excited about what you're doing but we want to be where you're at bring us into the center of your will this morning for this we pray in the name of jesus all right everybody have their bible if you have your bible raise your hand we're going to be going through some interesting verses today all right you know it's very interesting this weekend is father's day weekend Now, when I was younger, Father's Day was very special because this was a time that we got to bring gifts to our father. And I never forgot, one time I had zero money, zero dollars, and I decided that I wanted to give a gift to my parent. So what I did is, I went like did what all little kids do, I went into the garage and I looked for something. And uh, my mom generally kept things in the garage that were packaged to give away from other people that they had gotten from previous events. And so this was a good cycle. So I went in there and I saw this, this package of dishes, okay? And I was like, this would be good for my dad. Dishes. It was box, the tape was there, it was sealed. So I took the box down and I went to my dad and I said, Dad, happy Father's Day. And it was so funny because my sister started snickering and they said, you know, dad just put that there a few days ago. You know, it's very interesting. When we think about gifts we wanna to bring to our fathers, uh, we can come up with all sorts of things, you know, little kids come up with those cards with the upside down E, you know, and it'll say Happy Father's Day or something like that, and it's so cute, and, and you know, and it's, it's very sentimental. You know, one thing I really appreciate about that video, when I had first watched it, I thought my, my manly pride came up, and I was like, this is too sentimental, but then I was looking at the corner, I realized there were scripture verses, everything that was being said was backed up by scripture, this was coming from the heart of God, can you say amen to that? And I want, you, I want to respond, I want to give God a good gift. I want to give our Father, our Heavenly Father, a good gift. And folks, I want to tell you, there is a gift that you can give your Heavenly Father. There is a very special gift, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But let's start off with a little bit of context. Take your Bible, let's go to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And by the way, if you notice, there's a cameraman up here, i.e. Mike Magpio. And if you notice, if you go to our website, our our sermons are actually being streamed. So you can actually watch a video, but good luck trying to capture me because I go back and forth. Okay, we're going to Isaiah chapter 60. Are we all there? Isaiah chapter 60. Let's start with verse 1. Isaiah chapter 60 starting with verse 1. Arise and what? Shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And behold, the darkness shall cover the what? Earth and deep darkness the what? The people. God here is describing a very interesting condition of the planet. What is He saying about the planet? It's what? It's dark. We're not just talking about physical darkness. Jesus here, God is trying to describe the condition or the spiritual condition of our planet. He doesn't just use the word dark. He says that there is, there's an adjective that's actually being used. What's that adjective? Gross darkness. In other words, the the writer here is saying something about the condition of our planet, saying that this is not just dark, it's really dark. And it has to do with the spiritual condition of this planet. When all of heaven views this planet, While we may think to ourselves, wow, there is human evolution taking place on a social scale and on a physical scale and all sorts of levels. Folks, when heaven views our planet, they see a very distraught and dark planet. Ellen White says in the book Christ's Object Lessons that our planet is dark through a misapprehension of the character of God. You go to anybody on the street, and you were to ask them this question, why don't you tell me what God is like, and you'll hear all sorts of answers. You know, I talked to my mom yesterday, and she told me that everyone has their own God, and that's okay. And I was thinking to myself as I'm listening to her, including the six-armed God that sticks his tongue out. That's God to some people. You go to somebody else. Even the atheist will say, well, I don't believe in a God who burns people forever. I don't believe in a God who does this or that. They still have a God, a conception of who God is. They may reject that current conception, but they still have a conception of who God is. Everybody in this world, it is impossible to escape it, everybody in this world has a perspective on who God is. Even if I was to go into this church right now and ask five different people, tell me, what is God like? You would hear five completely different answers. And some answers that probably might scare you. You know, when I first became a Christian, I read some of the writings of Ellen White in, uh, it was volume 9 of the testimonies, and this is right after that I had given up Hinduism and she deals with pantheism. It's very interesting because what she talks about is the character and the nature of who God is. But the Bible makes it very clear, this world is dark through a misapprehension of the character of God. People don't know who God is anymore. And as we step further and further to the very end, it's just getting worse. And now you're hearing all sorts of things coming up out of the news about this or that. Or even with uh, many Adventists, some of them are embracing some very unusual and weird things. And the character of God is is just being smeared and tainted. And God himself is being hidden by these conceptions. In fact, take your Bible, go to Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm going to show you something very interesting. Who knows what Ezekiel chapter 28 is all about? It's about the fall of Lucifer. If you've been to about 20 evangelistic series, you should have memorized that by now. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And I want you to see something very unusual about Lucifer. Ezekiel chapter 28. That's page 831 in your seminar Bibles. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now let's start with verse 11. You're going to pick up very quickly that this is talking about the fallen angel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation. It's like a a crying poem, a sad poem. For the king of Tyre, say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. This is obviously talking about Lucifer. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond. And by the way, what was his covering? these jewels that are about to be listed. Now I want you to pay attention to that because that's very important. Okay. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Verse 13, every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now pay attention to verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who what? Covers. Now pay attention because you heard that word prior. What was Lucifer covered with? Precious stones. Okay, now these stones have different colorings. colorings, And so the Bible's making it very clear that what Lucifer was emanating was multicolors. He was emanating different lights. But then if you notice, the Bible actually talks about his position. It says he was the anointed cherub who what? Covers. Now this is very important. Lucifer was covered in stones, but apparently Lucifer covered God. You know what's very interesting about that word covering it means to bring a screen around something the bible here is describing the position of lucifer and is saying that what his position in heaven was he was the covering cherub in other words he presented this veil it was a covering and only parts of god or or characteristics or you can say commands or different aspects of god were only given to the rest of the universe. Part of what this angel would do was to hold back some of that almighty glory and power. He was the covering cherub. The Bible makes it very clear. Lucifer was covered in stones, but Lucifer himself was the covering for God. In fact, do you know where that word covering also appears? The exact same Hebrew word. When the Bible's talking in Exodus 25, verse 20, when God tells Moses, I'm going to appear to you, but you can't see my front side, I'm going to cover you with my hands. The exact same word. Do you know what Lucifer's position was in heaven? It's this, it was this. Lucifer's position in heaven, he was the heavenly veil for the entire universe. He was the heavenly veil. You go into the sanctuary service and you see that there was a veil keeping the holy place separate from the most holy place. And on that veil were angels. What Lucifer was, was the heavenly veil for the entire universe. An infinite, almighty, all-powerful God was still veiled to the entire universe. And Lucifer was the covering that separated him from the rest of the universe. Lucifer was the heavenly veil. In fact, when God tells Moses, Moses, you can't see my front side. You can only see my back. You're going to hide in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. The reason why Moses could not be in the presence of God was because Lucifer had left his spot years ago. Now you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, what does that have to do with that? It was because of Lucifer's envy and his jealousy he left The very presence of God started this rebellion, caused mankind to fall. Therefore, mankind could no longer live in the very presence of God. He would be destroyed because of the sin that is in him. Lucifer's position was the heavenly veil. He was to cover God's goodness and great graciousness to the entire universe. But you're asking the question, why are you bringing this up and why is the world dark? Because Lucifer turned from covering God's glory to blinding God's glory from the rest of the universe. There was no more access. What Lucifer began to do, he began to actually hide who God was to the entire universe and to this planet. And that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, talking about the God of this age, referring to Lucifer, he has blinded the minds of the people. He has blinded. He turned from being a covering cherub to being someone who now was intentionally blinding people from the character of God. And so what's happened? Our world is dark through a misapprehension of the character of God. And when Jesus came to this world, he attempted to do something very interesting. Take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And let's start with verse 25. I want you to see something very interesting about verse 25. Actually, let's start with verse 24. Father. What does Jesus call God? Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Now pay attention to verse 25 because that's key. O righteous Father, the world has not what? Known you. Now, notice what Jesus is saying right here about God the Father. He says something so interesting. He is saying something that the whole world does not know who he is. God is actually saying something about the Father. He is saying the whole world does not know who he is. You know, someone once called the Old Testament the loneliness of God. Jesus makes it very clear the world does not know who he really is. He's probably the least known Father in the entire scriptures. In fact, you know what's very interesting about that? When you do a study of the Old and New Testament, what you discover is something powerful. Did you know the word Father, in reference to God, appears about 15 times in the Old Testament? Do you know how many times it appears in the New Testament? 200 times. Do you know what Jesus was attempting to do? He came to clear up the misconception about who God was. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, what you discover is that the Messiah is not called the Son of God. You want to know why? Because the idea that the Messiah would actually be the Son of God, that God is actually fatherly, was something that was so foreign to their minds. And that's why even Jesus in the New Testament, I believe it was John chapter 10, the Pharisees had said to him, you're committing blasphemy because you're calling yourself the Son of God. Uh, they had such foreign views about God the Father. They, they could not even just think or just comprehend that idea that God was actually fatherly. And that's why when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the transition into the New Testament, Jesus, every time he's referring to God, calls him Father, 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 to over 200 times in the New Testament, but only 15 times in the Old Testament. The idea that God was fatherly was so foreign to their minds. What they understood about God was not correct. And so what Jesus attempted to do was to clear up the misconceptions about God the Father, And so when Jesus was calling himself the son of God, the Pharisees were scratching their head and said, no, you're not right about that. That, that That sounds wrong, actually, because God isn't fatherly. They had such wrong views about who God was, and it led them to crucify Jesus. You know, some people in their attempt to defend God actually end up blinding others from God. And so this is what's taking place. But Jesus begins to do something. He begins to clear up the image about who the Father is. Go back to John chapter 17. Let's take a good look at the rest of that verse. John chapter 17, verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known what? You, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Now watch this, and I have declared it to them your name and will declare it that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What Jesus came to do was to clear up who God was. You know, one day I was call-portering and uh, I was knocking on this door. I knocked on this door. And this guy opens up, but the little chain was there, you know, just a chain to keep people like me out. And so he opens up the the, the door and it opens to just a few inches and he's peeking. He's like, can I help you? And I said, hi, my name is Anel. I'm a student working on a scholarship. And instead of junk food, and I know the lingo, so we have something more healthy. And he's like, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. He's like, who's Jesus? And I said, what? And he's like, who's Jesus? And I said, oh, he's the son of God. And then he said, was he created? I knew what he was asking me. He was trying to make sure I wasn't Jehovah Witness. And I said, no, he wasn't. And then he said, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? Still looking through the little, you know, here's an Indian guy standing in front of this door talking what looks like a door, and he's just talking, and he goes, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth? And I said, and it was the Holy Spirit just inspired me, and I said, the purpose of Jesus coming to this world was to be man's representative to God, but to be God's representative to man. And all of a sudden, click, come in. And I sat down, he ended up buying 10 books, including a a great controversy. And it was so powerful. Because I realized something. Uh, There are people who are really searching for the truth. Amen? And what we're giving, when we're giving the gospel message, we're giving correct pictures of who God is. And that's why it's very important how we give that message is just as important as what we give. Amen? Because inherent to truth is its communication as well. In fact, when you attempt to communicate truth in a wrong way, you begin to taint the truth itself. And so it's very important that we give the truth and love. Can you say amen to that? And it's so awesome because what Jesus came to do, he came to reveal who the Father was. He came to rip that veil that had been put by Satan and expose who the Father was to this entire universe. Now, this is where it gets very paradoxical, right here. Right here. Take your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 27. When you think about what Jesus did and how he was the representative of the Father, when you think how God sent his only son to die to humanity, when you think of what the epicenter of what love is, you think about the cross. Amen? Now go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I preached in Loma Linda, and you know what I told the doctors and dentists? I told them they needed to learn about health, about being spiritual healthy as well. That's what I told them. And I said, don't assume everyone's a converted Adventist in Loma Linda. I said, assume them as a child of God who needs your grace, too. And I told them to expand the borders of the health message. I'm buying time right now so I can get to the verse. Matthew chapter 27, starting to verse 45. Now take a look at this. We're going to see the epicenter of the Father's love right here. In Jesus, Now I want you to notice something. The context is talking about the cross. And when Jesus was dying on that cross, watch what he says right here. We're going to see the very center of the Father's love in verse 45. Now about the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was what? Darkness all over the land. We heard that phrase before. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, or in some translations, Father, why have you what? Folks, do you see the paradox here? The very center of the Father's love, we find the Father missing. The very epicenter, ground zero, of where God the Father sent his only son, when we look to see the Father, he's not there. God the Father's missing at what we consider the very center of the Father's love, where he touched down with humanity. Jesus on that cross is crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Now we stop and we think about that because that is very paradoxical. We're saying God the Father loves all of humanity. He sent his only son. And then when we look at the cross where the epicenter of of God's love is, he's not there. He's gone. Folks, this is very important to understand. If God the Father really loves humanity, why is it that when we look at what love is, the incarnation of love, he's not around? Folks, the reason why, and you know this, the reason why, that was the very center of love, was because humanity was being redeemed at the utmost sacrifice between God, the Father, and the Son. You know, several millennia ago, I'm not sure the Father and Son had made a covenant that when it would come right down to the most difficult time, the most most difficult, the most stickiest part of the plan of redemption, when it would come right down to the cross itself, that they would be faithful to humanity. And so when it came right down to it, when it came right to the hardest part of what the plan of redemption was, which was to turn away from his only son, the father painfully, grievously turned away from Jesus so that humanity could be saved. In fact, when you go to Isaiah chapter 53, it says, it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise him. In fact, when you take the word please, what you find out, it's the same word that's used in Psalm 40, which is describing, will you be be pleased with sacrifices? What was happening right at that very moment when Jesus was dying was that the Father was turning his back on Jesus so that you could be saved. And that's so marvelous because here's the thing, Jesus had no assurance on the cross. Do you know Jesus was a lost man on the cross? Let that sink into your mind. He was a lost man... A man who was dying in hell, he was dying the death of the wicked. I always ask the question, who was interceding for Jesus? Nobody was interceding for Jesus. He was dying on that cross as a lost man. Ellen White says he had no assurance. The father turned his back on him. And folks, I can imagine that as a father, it would be very, very painful, if not more painful, to turn your back on your child as he's hurting. Folks, you want to know what the hardest thing about the cross was? The most difficult thing for God on the cross, you ready for this? Was being God. The most difficult thing for God on the cross was being God. You know why? Because he could have exercised his divinity at any moment to save himself. In fact, the devil was trying to get him to exercise his divinity come down from the cross and we'll save you. And folks, it was difficult for God not to be God. When he chose the lot of humanity, He was dying the death of the wicked at any cost to himself. Now here's where it gets to the father too. It was difficult for the father because he could have exercised his God-like power to deliver his son Jesus. He turned away his God-like power to deliver Jesus too. It was difficult for God not to be God on the cross. Folks, don't let anybody ever tell you that the father doesn't love you. The father himself loves you, says. Can you say amen to that? And when you see what the cross is, you don't just see a picture of the love of Jesus, you see the picture of the Heavenly Father for every person here. You may be somebody who was born without a, a good father in your life, you may be some, born with somebody who, who was a, a deadbeat father, you may not even have a father, even the person who you call dad may not be a good dad to you, your dad might have passed away, but folks, I want to tell you something, God himself will be your father, Amen god himself will be your father and the bible says in psalms 27 verse 10 when my father and mother forsake me the lord himself will take me up can you say hallelujah to that let's bow our heads for a word of prayer father in heaven we thank you again for the father's love and thank you lord that the innocent became guilty that the guilty might be innocent thank you lord for redemption and as we celebrate Father's Day, Lord, thank you for being our Heavenly Father. God, I know that the gift that you want more than anything is our hearts, as polluted as they are. So Lord, we bring that to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.